Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? Episode 45. Welcome to my mind there. Occasionally, though not often, I will take a stance on something that may make people upset or mad. If you are one of those people, and especially about gun control, you may want to skip through this to our first guest introduction. You have been warned. With all the recent horrible things that are happening in our world, I feel that I would be amiss not to talk about these things to you, my gentle listeners. Normally, I try to make this portion of my podcast fun or insightful. Today, I speak from the heart. I will start off by saying that I grew up around guns. Lots of guns. My father was a sportsman who liked to hunt. I had aunts and uncles who hunted for sport, uh, or food, or both. The kids I grew up with had parents that hunted, and probably a good portion of those people and those kids still hunt today. I used to hunt, but found out that honestly, I'd rather spend the time in the woods without a gun as opposed to in the woods with a gun. I am pro-hunting. As a matter of fact, of of course, I'm also pro-gun ownership for personal or home protection. Strangely, in my home state of Wisconsin, there is concealed carry laws. Honestly, I wish the state was open carry only. I feel it's only fair to let me know if I'm talking to someone who has a gun on their person. That said, here's where I differ from a lot of gun owners. You don't need to have an automatic weapon to go hunting. If you're a good hunter, you know the kind I want to go into the woods with. Take your shot, bag your kill, and go home. If it takes you a clip of 50 bullets to down a deer, first you need to start off by learning how to shoot. If your rifle holds 5 or 6 shots, that's more than you should ever need. If you're using a slug-throwing shotgun, know your target and aim carefully and take your trophy. It seems currently that too many people want to own guns of a certain type for the prestige of owning said gun. Just because you can own it doesn't mean you should own it. You don't need an AR-15 for home protection. Why overdo it? A handgun locked in a bedside vault is all you need for home protection. You don't need an arsenal. I've heard and probably have used the line... Haven't you heard of the Second Amendment? The answer is yes, and here directly from the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Let's break this down. A well-regulated militia, I read army, being necessary to the security of a free state. We have the army, they along with other branches of the military, take care of the security of the state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, remember, when this was passed, we were a newly formed country, and there was very little military and a lot of open country that needed to be protected by the common folk. They also didn't carry AK-47s or auto or semi-automatic weapons. They carried one-shot long rifles for the most part. You want to have a long rifle with black powder and a single shot? Go for it. 
Too many people, like the gunman in Orlando on June 5th, have the ability to get guns and use them to the detriment of the people around them. I have gone on too long, and I know that many of you will disagree with me, but this is my mind, Mayor, and I get to say what I want. So let's meet tonight's guest. Ben Schultz is a friend I met while doing, a, doing the con circuit of gaming conventions in Wisconsin as a dealer. He writes and publishes his own games, and I hear tell that he's embarked on writing novels now. Ben, or Bean as you may hear me call him, is a great guy. He's the type of friend that would never bail you out of jail, because he'd be right next to you saying, well, I'll be damned. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks, Chad. All right, so I do a little segment called Five Questions. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's jump into five questions. First question, what is your favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. Okay. Fair enough. Um, pizza is one of those great meals. It's got everything you need. I mean, literally, you eat a couple slices, half a pizza, whatever, and you got everything you need there. The uh, the food pyramid, it's all right there as long as you get the right kind of pizza. Right. It's a well balanced meal. It's customizable, and uh, it, it's uh, well. If nowadays it's even bite sized. Yeah. Now, I got to ask you this, because there's one type of pizza that I absolutely cannot stand. What are your thoughts of pineapple? Well, I guess fruit in general on pizzas. Um, I am not a pineapple on pizza fan. Okay, I'm not um, I'm not either. I'm I'm more a lot of pepperoni, probably some bacon, mushroom and onions, cheese sauce. Pretty basic, pretty standard, you know, traditional. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good pizza to me. The only thing I would change on that is instead of red sauce, I am actually a big fan of the the um, white garlic sauce that a lot of places have now. Parmesan um, garlic sauce? Yeah, I can either, go with that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so question number two, your favorite band or musician? Uh, the Eagles. Okay. Is that is that is there something about the Eagles that that I mean that was well, a quick answer, man. Yeah, well, actually, I I was I, I just it, it dawned on me when I was working this week uh, driving truck for my real job, as my father would say. Um, I get to listen to whatever kind of music I want, and more often than not, that's the band that I have playing. Uh, first off, they've got some great songs, uh, and their songs told amazing stories i there's there are a lot of groups that that uh, have songs that tell a story but i think the eagles have some of the best and until i watched the eagles documentary which uh, i encourage anybody who likes the group to, to watch i hadn't realized how much of the music from the 80s and 90s we actually owe to that band and the different members when they split off oh absolutely so, um you know, I, I like some of the music of the uh, the Eagles. You know, their especially their their heavily played rotation stuff. Oh yeah. I, I never really got into them as a band, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. Um, no, it's just, uh, I, I mean, I like all genres of music, with the exception of rap, um, and mostly that's because you're ruining a perfectly good vinyl record in the background, uh, and it just doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't, most of it doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Uh, but uh, 
if I had to pick a favorite group, if you said you're stranded on a desert island and you can only have the music from one group, that would probably be the group that I would pick. Okay, fair enough. See, and somebody brought that up. I did a I did an episode of this not too long ago where my buddy Jason Dean came on and he's a he's a music freak, so we talked music. And mm-hmm. he's, he's like, you know, what would be that one that one musician or one band that you would listen to if if you couldn't have anything else? And I said Prince. And I say Prince because if you take his entire catalog, it has got just about every type of music from disco to heavy metal and everything in between. And so I always thought that was a good balance of not that all his stuff is good because it's not. Um, but you know what I mean? It's got that balance of you get all the types of music versus right, you could, you could have a heavy metal day or a relaxing day or right. Exactly. All right. Uh, question number three, what's your occupation? Uh, well, I try to be a writer, uh, that doesn't always pay the bills the way I want it to. So I also uh, drive a delivery truck. Okay. So now. As a writer, I've heard rumors and uh, that you are now writing novels. Have you have you completed a novel yet? Um, I actually have five. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, three three of the ladies' rock novels and uh, two novels in a new series, and I'm working on the third uh, that are actually available on Amazon. Uh, two of them, the the new series, are available. Uh, both as a print book for people who like to hold the book in their hand. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. And of course, available for download on the Kindle or, or on a uh, reader for your computer. Okay. All right. Number four, favorite game. What, what is your favorite game? Whether it be video, board, whatever. What is, what is that one game? I, the game that I always come back to eventually, no matter what I feel like I'm in the mood for, is Dungeons and Dragons. And to be completely honest with you, I owe a lot of where I am today to playing that game when I was younger. Um, I had a real hard time, for example, with negative numbers. Okay. When I was a kid, I could not wrap my head around them. And when we were kids, Until- it was it was second edition, which means Thaco, which means you had to deal with negative numbers. Well, and that's actually how I learned. I was having trouble dealing with negative numbers in class. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And my mom asked my cousin, Ted, who coincidentally is a person who taught me how to play D&D, to tutor me because he was really good in math. Okay. And so we started working out math problems, and I couldn't get them. And then he would ask me, what do you have to roll on a D20 to hit armor class four? And I'd rattle off the answer. And he would say, okay, that's the exact same math problem. It just, it was just the, it was the conceptual way in which you had to deal with it. And as soon as I realized that negative numbers just were a part of solving for Thaco, I was an ace at it. My (laughs) math grade turned around literally over a weekend. I went on Friday from struggling in math to get C's to nailing A's on every test because it was, he made an association with something that I was doing for fun. Right, right. Um, I, I read books that no kid my age should have ever read. You know, by the time I was in high school, I had already read the Iliad, the Odyssey, most of Greek mythology that had been translated to English, Norse mythology. I knew a lot about history, medieval, ancient Roman, whatever. 
um, because I needed to prep. I needed to know that to prep my D&D campaign. Right. How old uh, were you? I always remember because I was in eighth grade the first time I picked up The Hobbit. And then I was in ninth grade when I picked up Lord of the Rings. Do you remember? Did you read those books? And do you remember when you picked those up? I I I remember getting them in fifth grade. I read them. Um, and I only remember that because that was the first time I DM'd was in, was my fifth grade year. I DM'd a game and I, I so heavily cribbed from, and we probably actually just played the Hobbit because D and D itself is heavily cribbed from Tolkien. Right. And I cribbed even more. So we probably just played the Hobbit as a game without even <laughs> realizing it. Um, but yeah, fifth grade is when I first picked up uh, Lord of the Rings, and uh, I actually read Lord of the Rings before The Hobbit, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what the library had. Right, right. Uh, See, and I, I would get The Hobbit in fifth grade, but Lord of the Rings is not an easy read, and especially for a fifth grader, that had to be, I mean, that, that just kind of shows where your ability to read was at the time. Well, and don't get me wrong, it was still frustrating. Like, I love Tolkien and what we owe Tolkien. Mm -hmm. but the man could spend 12 pages describing a cloud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and some you're of just the, like, okay, who cares? It's, it's stormy. Yeah. You know, some of the people, some of the, some of the um, stuff that was cut out of the, the movies, I mean, Bombadil, <laughs> there's mm -hmm. a reason that was cut out. <laughs> right, right. There's a reason you, you just read it and you're like, fine. Tom Bombadil's amazing. We get it. Let's move on. Right, right. We don't uh, need we don't need four chapters and 112 pages to tell us about it. And and when I got older, um, I started to equating things like Tom Bond. I don't know if you had to read Grapes of Wrath in school. I didn't. Somehow I, I somehow I managed to not read. Well, maybe I was supposed to, but I don't remember reading it. <laughs> I, I had an English teacher who had a Steinbeck fetish, so I've read everything John Steinbeck has put out. Oh, good uh, for you. And I'm not proud of that. No, not good for me at all. Um, but in, in Grapes of Wrath, periodically, they just break off and have like a mini chapter that discusses a turtle walking across the street. Oh, really? Uh, trying to cross a road. And that was always, every time I'd read that, the turtle was named Tom Bombadil in my head. Because it was like, what the hell purpose is this? Yeah, yes, all right. it's a struggle. I get it. Let's move on. <laughs> all so, right. So um, I, we're still doing five questions here. So let's do question number five. What's your favorite form of entertainment and why? Um, lately, it's been watching things on Netflix. I actually just binged in two days uh, Orange is the New Black because it was out uh, the weekend before that. I did House of Cards. Um, my family's pretty active otherwise. So at night when we're all winding down, we sit together and watch something on TV, be it Netflix or Hulu. And so uh, that seems to be my my primary form of entertainment lately. But I think the reason that I enjoy it is more because we're sitting together as a family mm -hmm. and not necessarily that we're watching TV, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now this is the part where you get to tell us more about yourself. You can pimp your website. You can pimp any of your stuff you want to pimp out here. This is your time to tell us a little bit more about Ben. So. Have at All it. right. Well, um, I'm a reprobate hunchback that lives chained in a basement vicariously through the people I meet on Facebook. And uh, well, that's no. pretty much I think we've gotten that much out of you already. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, I, I 
spend as much time as I can writing. And when I'm not writing, I'm usually thinking about what I'm going to write. Uh, if you're at all interested, go check out what I have on Amazon. If you want to find out what I'm doing next, uh, ArisianEntertainment.com. That's E-R-I-S-I-A-N, entertainment, all lowercase, all one word. No fancy underscores or squiggles or anything like that. Okay. Uh, .com. And right now up on that webpage is um, details about the characters in the story I'm writing right now which is kind of a, a science fiction story, uh, as well as the world uh, that they live in, the, the various planets and the level of technology and the mega corporations that have grown up over uh, human events. Uh, the idea for that one being that uh, humanity managed to mess up the Earth and we had to find other planets to live on. Okay. Uh, which is a pretty standard sci-fi trope at this point. Right. Um, but uh, the way that it's broken down, I think, is a little bit unique. And and the characters, one of the things that I strive to do when I'm writing uh, is my characters live in a, a real world. There's not a cut and dry black and white. It's a lot of gray. Okay. And they have real people problems. Um, not like... Uh, well, even sometimes, yes, how am I going to pay the bill? But uh, this particular story is about a group of space salvagers, a family that runs a salvage business, and the things that they accidentally get caught up in and how they impact the world around them, even though they're not trying to, or in some cases, actively trying not to. Okay, now this is a question I've had for you for a long time, and Every time I actually see you in person, I never think of it, but you brought it up here. Aresian. What's the story behind the name Aresian? Oh, uh, that's actually pretty easy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Discordianism. No. I, I'm not really sure if it's a joke wrapped in a religion or a religion wrapped in a joke. Okay. Uh, but the idea behind the Discordian movement is that looking out in the world, it's very evident that there is a divine creator and that divine creator can only be Eris, the goddess of discord. Okay. And that's why the world is so messed up. And their, their uh, religious text is a book called the Principia Discordia or how I found the goddess and what I did with her once I did. Okay. Uh, which it just makes me laugh. It's a hilarious book. Anyway, uh, the idea originally, I knew I was going to stumble when I was writing. I knew I was going to stumble when I was making games. Um, you know, those things happen. It's not an easy road, but it's something I really wanted to do. Right. And so the idea that it was the entire thing hinged upon the whim of some ancient Greco-Roman deity that really enjoyed creating havoc. Um, really kind of summed up how I felt. And so a region is my attempt to uh, to make the word heiress into um, an adjective that would work in front of entertainment. Okay, fair enough. And, and I really wanted to do the back-to-back uh, -back E logo from Extensive Enterprises from the old G.I. Joe cartoon. Okay. But Extensive Enterprises actually exists as a real company, so I couldn't do it. So you had to put that weird-ass so, face in the middle? 
Well, that's it's it's kind of a bent armed chaos symbol. Okay. With the smiley face, that's what the logo is, and so the region entertainment allowed me to do the double E's, um, which is kind of a a really obscure and backhanded homage to the GI Joe cartoon. Okay. And now, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. That's right. And and one more thing I'm going to bring up. I'm going to read you a snippet of something that you wrote, and I want to see if you can tell me what it's from. Okay, that I wrote. Okay. Yep. So, created during the 38 hours of gaming known as Fire and Ice, the non-collectible card game of game creation and market domination. That is from Game Design the Shafting. It is. Now, Game Design the Shafting is a game that you and I and Adam, and I'm sure there was other people had their hands in. That, oh, yeah, that was that was a, a game convention that was hilarious. Yeah, and, I mean, you and I, I think you and I probably did the most work on it because it was just like we started this stupid idea, and what did it take us, a week, ten days, and we had card designs, and it was... Oh, it was, uh, it, it started out as a joke. Yeah. Um, at, at the time, um... Was it WizKid Games had just been sued for making cardboard punch-outs? Yeah, I think Because another so. game company had patented it? Something yeah. like that. Anyway, it was Phil who made the offhanded comment that he must have played the frivolous lawsuit card. And right. from there, you and I took off and just started coming up with random cards. And before the end of the first day, we had a list of cards Right. And then I went home and I should have slept that night, but didn't. I started doing card mock-ups. Correct. And, and then had... when I came back to the next day, you and I just kept it going. And by the third day of the convention, people were yelling card ideas across the convention floor. Yeah, we got, we have card. And I just pulled out my copy of it. We have shady CEO shipping problems. The Chathamize game, the Chathamize card. The Chathamized Hype Card. And uh, I think you wrote this one, but it was even a blind squirrel is bound to find a nut once in a while. And if you've managed to find nuts of your own, your game might suck, but your company name and logo are so kick-ass that people remember them and not the streaming turd you published. Which was kind of funny because um, Chatham did have an awesome logo. It was uh, yeah. done by a friend of Adam's and mine and Adam's. We had a dragon in the form of a C wrapped around an A. And uh, the card, you used the logo, and then I think you used uh, a, a knight. There was a knight on there fighting the Chatham dragon. But mm -hmm. um, it was just really cool. And my one my one curiosity is, have you ever sold any copies of this other than the ones we sold, you know, you sold to us at the game store? And at the con, the next year, I think you sold a couple. Have you ever had anybody? At the con, the next at the con the next year, I sold almost a hundred copies. Okay. The the problem was I was selling them for twenty dollars, and they cost nineteen to ship to produce and ship. Right. Um, but uh, they're actually still available for sale on the GameCrafter.com website. And have you sold any there from there? Um, maybe a handful. Okay. I was just curious if there was any appeal to it because outside of the convention itself, because if you remember I, the well, next year, I knew you were selling them, but that was the year that I got super sick and I spent two and a half of the three days in the hotel room 
uh, mm-hmm. sleeping and puking my guts out, but you know, in 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 turn. I I played so many games of that as demos that weekend. I completely lost my voice and couldn't work for four days afterwards because I, I couldn't it. talk. Um, and I actually sold them the next year at conventions too. I printed. I want to say I printed 200 of them right off the bat. And I think I've got two left that I have at my house. Um, So those are the ones that I sold bringing to convention. And then your game store bought some. And Uh, I think we sold, I think we bought a dozen of them or 10 of them. Yeah. And when the store closed, there was one copy left, which I then donated to the, um, to the local high school that I used to volunteer time with the game, the game club with. So that's what I did with the last one. So whether we bought 10 or 12, I can't remember, but we sold them all but one. So. Well, and, and I had a, a game store down in Kenosha bought some that I think they sold out of and a game store in Iowa bought some. Okay. Um, the, the thing is I, I had a, a fairly bisque prisoner brisk business with a handful of game stores across the country that would order direct from me. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, Chatham, uh, Citadel up in Brainerd, Minnesota, um, a store down in Kenosha, a store in Appleton, uh, one in Kentucky, one in Iowa, one in Germany and one in England. I have no idea why or how. Yeah. I was going to say, how did you uh, even get hooked up with those guys? No idea whatsoever. Uh, they would just, they emailed me one day and asked if they could get, if they could order product direct from me because it was too expensive to order through their normal distributor. Interesting. And I said, sure. And they ordered it and I sold it to them at whatever I normally sold it to, I think 50% off retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and they paid for shipping and got it, and they still get stuff to this day. But of the game stores domestically that bought my stuff, I think only two of them are still in business. So carrying my games does not look like it was a good move for game stores. Yeah, I was going to say, was it the game stores or was it your merch? <laughs> I don't know. All I'll right, take man. credit. Well, I'm not that way. Let's go ahead and jump into this day in history, and then we'll get into your topic for the day. All right, sounds good. So today in history, I get all my history facts from www.history.com slash this day in history. June 9th, 1993, Hollywood Madam arrested. On this day in 1993, the now infamous Madam to the Stars, Heidi Fleiss, is arrested as part of a sting operation run by the Los Angeles Police and Beverly Hills Police Departments and the U.S. Justice Department. In the 1980s, Fleiss's then-boyfriend introduced her to the leading Beverly Hills madam, Elizabeth Adams, who, according to Fleiss, taught her the tricks of the trade. Before long, Fleiss started a competing business, and when Adams was arrested in 1988, Fleiss took her spot as the leading provider of expensive prostitutes in Hollywood. As her business grew, she enjoyed the perks of celebrity, even as her rising profile attracted the attention of local authorities. On June 9, 1993, after she sent four of her employees, along with a quantity of cocaine, to fulfill an arrangement made with three clients, actually undercover agents, the 27-year-old Fleiss was arrested and charged with pandering, pimping, and narcotics possession. 
Fleiss's trial, during which she refused to name any of her agency's high-profile clients, though testimony did reveal at least one of them, the actor Charlie Sheen, was the talk of Hollywood. She pleaded not guilty to all the charges, and her lawyers argued that the authorities had entrapped her. In December 1994, a California grand jury found Fleiss guilty on three of five pandering counts and not guilty on the narcotics charge. She was sentenced to three years in prison and ordered to pay a $1,500 fine. Fleiss also went to trial before a federal grand jury on charges of conspiracy, money laundering, and tax evasion. She was convicted in August 1995 on eight of the 14 counts and sentenced to 37 months in prison. All told, Fleiss served three years in prison and was released in the fall of 1999. She later began a two-year relationship with actor Tom Sizemore, a star of films such as Heat, Saving Private Ryan, and Black Hawk Down. In 2003, Fleiss char filed charges against Sizemore for violent abuse. He was convicted that August on six of 16 counts, including abuse, threat, harassment, and vandalism. His initial sentence of six months in jail was eventually reduced to 90 days, plus mandatory drug rehab and domestic violence and anger management counseling. Fleiss, who has also struggled with drug abuse, has attempted to profit from her infamy by authoring several nonfiction books, including Pandering in 2003. In early 2008, Fleiss opened a laundry mat called Dirty Laundry in Pahrump, Nevada. She also announced plans to open a brothel catering to female customers. So that's a little blast from our past. <laughs> I remember when Heidi Fleiss got uh, nabbed, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I you do probably well. do too. Yes, I do. And it was a big deal because it was a much different time then. So Yes. All right, so let's jump into your topic for today. What What is it you want to talk about? What is it you brought to the table for us? <laughs> Well, I want to talk about today uh, the way that we as a society allow things like the media and uh, corporations and political groups to not only form our opinions for us, uh, but kind of form our, our identity. Uh, we seem to be identifying ourselves, for example, uh, based on who we voted for in the last election. And we seem to have lost this ability to take in information and critically process it to determine the truth. Okay. Um, an example that I'm going to use, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. All right. Um, from a little bit earlier during your mind, Mayor. Yeah. Uh, you cited the Second Amendment, which you cited correctly. I'm not disputing your citation. However... Those commas in there, they mean something. Absolutely. And so when it, when it says uh, a well-regulated militia necessary for the defense, I know that's not a direct quote, but you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, they're saying because a militia is important in order to defend the nation, the right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. So... They're saying that the people need to have the right to bear arms so that we can defend the country if the military fails, if we get invaded a la Red Dawn. Right. Um, or, and, and this is the one that seems to always be overlooked, if we mess up again as a nation, 
um, when we learn about it in history class now, uh, and even when I was a kid, we seem to brush over the fact that the Constitution wasn't ratified until 10 years after we gained our independence. Correct. And that was because we tried a form of government before that that failed. And so the freedom of speech, the, the, the Bill of Rights, the whole Bill of Rights, First Amendment, Second Amendment, all the way through 10, those are specifically there to protect the people from the government so that if the government fails again, we have that ability. Now, of course, I've said that out loud, so we're now on a watch list. <laughs> more correctly, I'm on another watch list, and you're on that one with me. Well, uh, you know, I got a feeling it, it's probably not the first one I'm on, so. <laughs> well, and, and don't misunderstand. I'm not uh, I'm not advocating armed rebellion by a stretch. Right. Uh, I'm just saying that, that that's one of the things the Founding Fathers understood. We had failed to form a government under uh, a functioning government under the Articles of Confederation. The Constitution was our second attempt. And they had every reason to be concerned that it would fail, that it might fail as well. Uh, and they didn't want it to lead to uh, another rebellion, which would have been the third in our history. Uh, Shays' rebellion seems to be overlooked a lot, but it was a uh, officer of the Continental Army who raised a second rebellion because of the mistreatment of American former soldiers and people who had contributed to the war effort um, by the government that they had helped to put in in power. And so, uh, and it goes beyond that in, in today's day and age, not just a Second Amendment issue, because on almost everything else you said, I agree with you 100%. You don't need 50 bullets to take down a deer. And if you do, you should either be playing a video game where it doesn't matter, or you need to learn how to shoot because that's a lot of lead to throw down range and not hit your target. Bullets go places. Um, so you don't need a 50 round clip. I agree. Um, I was never a big hunter myself and we grew up, we had guns cause we're in Wisconsin. Right. Right. Never I think it's, I think guns. it's part of being a homeowner in Wisconsin. You have to own at least two guns. Right. Uh -huh. Right. And, and it head. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Some type of cloth with the Packer logo on it, be it a towel or a flag or a jacket. Yeah, no. Shirt, you're required to own Packer merchandise. Yep, yeah. Even if you don't watch football, it's it's just all part of the being a Wisconsin resident. It's just right. something you have to do. Right, and you have to know when it's Miller time, because always Miller time. And and you have to have drank Pabst Blue Ribbon at least once in your life. Especially if you're up from the area that I live in, uh, Wassa, Anigo, Merrill, that whole area, that's that's big past Blue Ribbon area. And I'll tell you what, PBR is okay, but honestly, I'd rather, if I'm going to drink one of those, I'm going to call them the old beers, I'm going to drink Blatt's. <laughs> oh, there you go. Blatt's I just is... like saying, I, I don't know if you remember this commercial, but I just like saying, PBR me ASAP. Yep, I was just thinking that. I'm like, I wonder if that's where he's going. <laughs> I just love doing that. And and it's funny because being from Wisconsin, you kind of become a beer snob, I think, just by default. Uh, I remember going I to visit a friend to. of mine who was going to college in Ohio. Okay. 
and they were drinking kegs of Milwaukee's best at parties. Mm. And I'm like, the beast, really? No, 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 no. That's that's not good. <laughs> that's not good beer. That's yeah. I'm not even sure that qualifies as beer. Ah. And then, and I went to visit a friend of mine in Canada. This is so oh, probably a decade ago now. And we went to the beer store mm-hmm. um, because that's where you buy beer in Canada. He wanted to try and drink with the boys from Wisconsin. It was my brother and I. Okay. And uh, we went in and he's like, oh, we got to get this imported beer. It's really good. And he grabbed a case of lining kugels. <laughs> and I'm like, I will be damned if I'm paying import prices for lineage. That's not happening, my friend. <laughs> I can drive to Chippewa Falls, tour the brewery and get shit faced. Much, much for much less, including gas for less than you're going to pay for that case of beer. That ain't happening. <laughs> no, but Liney's is big in a lot of strange places. It's not bad beer. To... I'm just not paying import price for it. Right. No, and, and it's funny because I was just talking to a buddy of mine who went to Mexico. And he went to a bar in, I want to say, um, not Cancun. But one of those, you know, one of those, those towns where it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tourist thing. One of those white sand beach kind mm-hmm. of things, but they had lineys on tap. They had it on tap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. It's like really yeah. liney kugels of all the beers. you I mean, like you said, lineys isn't a bad beer, but it's not anything spectacular either. Right, it's not, oh my god, I have to have my lineys today. Right. Uh, but don't get me wrong, I'll drink liney kugels. I'm not that way. I'm Lineys isn't bad beer, but well, you it's know just what? not super special. Yeah, no. Like my dad always said, my favorite beer is a free beer. Yeah, that's one of my favorite too. Free and cold are my two favorite brands. Yep, yep. Uh, anyway, but, so, and so it, back to what we were it, talking about. Well, I was going to give you another example. I have a a friend of mine who is uh, very, and and this is is a relatively hot issue now, and you and I have actually talked about it in the past, Uh, and it's relevant because it's his Pride Month. Uh, There's a lot of debate and discussion in different states about bathroom use based on gender identity versus biological gender. Okay. And people are outraged by it. But here's the crux of the issue. If you're a man transitioning to be a woman and you go into the woman's bathroom, you have to use a stall. Correct. Because that's all they have. Correct. And if you're a woman transitioning to be a man until you have the surgery, you have to use a stall because that's all you have the equipment for. True. So the argument here, and it's illegal for you to look into a bathroom stall no matter who's using it. Correct. Even if your genitals match, you can't peek into a bathroom stall. In fact, in most so, cases, if your genitals do match and you peek in, at least for guys, you're going to get your ass kicked. Yes. So the real argument we're having here, if you boil down all the political crap and get rid of it, we're arguing about whether or not you want to wash your hands next to somebody who may or may not have different genitals than you, which you shouldn't be aware of because you can't look. Right. But here, here, I'm going to play devil's ad, advocate for a second here. Mm-hmm. So the, the fear is, 
And and it seems to be more sided towards men going into women's rooms. So let's let's use that. So a man okay. going into a woman's room who is going who wants to be a woman, mind you, goes into a right. women's room and for some reason the guys that pass the laws think that we are so not in control of our bodily functions that even though I think I'm a woman, I want to become a woman eventually. I am still going to rape anything with a skirt on in there because I'm a man. And and there's act, actually, uh, to my knowledge, and I may be wrong, um, I don't think there's a recorded case of a transgendered person attacking someone in a bathroom. I would agree with you. I've never heard of one. And it's just, it's this homophobic, these homophobic people out there that are just a they're so afraid of their own, and this is my take on it, by the way, they are so afraid of their own sexuality or they don't understand their own sexuality that every strange or perverse thing they think about can't possibly be about them. So they have to put it on somebody else. Oh, and it's just, and, and before, before gay marriage was legitimate, um, well, it, it was always legitimate before it was legal. Um, there you go. The the same friend of mine uh, would argue that homosexuals shouldn't be allowed to marry, and I would say, well, why not? And he would say, well, um, marriage is is a religious institution, and I would be like, okay, there is a sacrament of marriage in your religion. I get that. I understand that completely. But the state's not affecting your sacrament. They're affecting the state institution of marriage, which is different. And right. he would say, well, then it should have a different name. Well, no, the word marriage isn't, in this case, the friend that I'm talking about is a devout Lutheran, which is cool. Um, but that's marriage isn't a word that was coined by the early Lutheran church or the Catholic church that preceded it. You know, marriage is right. an English word that it probably derives from German, I'm guessing, because let's face it, English beats up other languages looking for loose grammar. Right, right. Um, but it it predates any modern religious belief, and right. and I'm including religious beliefs that are three thousand years old but are still practiced. The concept of marriage is not unique to any one religion at all. Um, so piss off. That doesn't affect you at all. What I what I always tell people, and because when they first announced that gay marriage was going to be legalized. Uh, my big fear was, and, and you might understand this, you may not, is that they were going to force religious institutions to do these marriages. Like, so I'm Catholic. And in the Catholic Church, two guys and two girls are not going to get married. It's just not going to happen. It's, right. it's, it's against our belief system. Now, I'm a very bad Catholic, so it doesn't really affect me. But what it did was, and it was the way it was worded, and after I learned more about it, I didn't have this argument anymore, but was that they were going to force the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or whatever church to do these marriages, okay? And that was my fear. It wasn't, I could care less if two guys want to get married or two girls want to get married. You know, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if they love each other and they want to, you know, screw their lives over the way I did with my wife, you know, more power to them. 
Uh, I mean, right, marriage, right. marriage is an old English word that means now you're fucked. That's all it is. And if it goes wrong, she gets half your shit. Right. I was just going to say, if you want to give up half your shit when you break up, go ahead. Exactly. Um, that that doesn't affect it, it, that doesn't affect me in any way, regardless of my religion. My religion that says that for me, I should not marry a man, which thankfully for me is not a problem because I'm attracted to women. However, well, that hurts my feelings. Well, and you, Ben, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's a secret. Sorry. That's okay. We. I'll just. I'll just edit that part out. Anyway. All right. Um, you do that. But you know what I'm saying? It doesn't affect me personally in any way. It doesn't affect my faith in my God. It doesn't affect my religion or my religion's uh, belief system. Therefore, why do I give a rat's ass? And, and part of the problem there, in my opinion, is that we as a country have empowered religious uh, ministers to be able to perform, or we've empowered them so that the religious uh, sacrament of marriage mm -hmm. also counts as the state institution of marriage. Correct. Um, I actually know this because, believe it or not, I am ordained, um, and I went through all the crap to make sure that it's legitimate with the state of Wisconsin, and I've actually performed weddings. Okay. Not many, but I have. Uh, and the thing is, being a minister, be having an ordination, um, you also have to prove to the state that you're qualified then to enact the state institution of marriage in addition to your religious sacraments. So just because you, you signed up for Universal Life Church, for example, is the big one online, they'll ordain anyone. Mm -hmm. In Wisconsin, that alone is not enough to allow you the powers of a justice of the peace to perform a wedding. Right. Uh, because those are ministers are justices of the peace because the state empowers them to be so, but not all justices of the peace are ministers, which we all know. But then we conflate the religious sacrament, which every religion has a right to their own sacraments. I, I'm the first person to say um, homosexual marriage should be legal, but I'm also the first person to say the state can't dictate to a, a church what their sacraments entail if a catholic church doesn't want to perform a gay wedding that's their religion and that's constitutionally protected right and so i think that's the problem the the side that we have or the the part that i have a big issue with is um the people who oppose gay marriage which let's just call it marriage you know we don't need to qualify Right, because they're, uh, they, they're giving up just as much as you and I did when we married a woman, so. Right, right. They they made the same mistake we did. Let's give them full faith and credit there. <laughs> um, they they can't separate the state institution from their from their religious sacrament. And that's where we run into the crux. Well, the, the, the and, problem... And the, then we... The problem go is... Ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. The problem is that the state does not recognize the religious portion of it in any way and that comes right. down to the the you know the state separated from the church so the state says we don't have to recognize each and every individual religion if you want to have religion tagged on to your state wedding basically that's mm -hmm. fine you can do that 
But when Nikki and I first got married, we got married by a justice of the peace. There was no religion involved, you know, at all. Then when three years later, when we decided that we would get our uh, marriage, um, you know, um, blessed by the church, it had nothing to do with the state. So my, exactly. my marriage is kind of a, a strange one in the fact that I did both parts eventually, but I did them at different times. See, and we did ours at the same time, and I, even though I am ordained, um, have never been a very religious person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my wife is Catholic, and her family is very Catholic. Okay. Uh, and my family is very not. Okay. So our wedding turned out to be very interesting, um, but for completely different reasons than it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, To anyone out there listening, if you're thinking about getting married and you're in northeastern Wisconsin, I strongly encourage you to get married Catholic. If only because, and I don't know if you had to because you were already married, if you had to for the sacrament, um, but because I was not Catholic, we had to attend classes mm-hmm. uh, and we had to attend two of them and the like the, the we pre-marriage went, the pre-marriage classes yeah okay uh, we had a, a choice of a whole bunch of them they were at uh, offered at St. Norbert's College is where we went to take the classes and we went to how to deal with your in-laws which Ooh, I, was I wish I had gone to good, that one <laughs> that was actually a really good class uh, my wife picked that one uh, and then I picked, um, oh, I can't remember the title of it, but it was effectively Catholic views on birth control. Okay. Uh, and I got married back in 95, 97. Okay. So um, that was back when it was the rhythm method or nothing. I'm yep. not sure if they've updated since then. No, not really. Um, so I'm like Catholic birth control. Oh, we are totally going to that class, honey. You got to pick the in-law class. <laughs> and. So the amazing thing is the two people who were up front teaching us about um, Catholic sexuality, that's what it was, Catholic sexuality. Okay. They had seven kids who were sitting in the background playing with toys really loud okay. and obnoxiously interrupting everything while their parents were telling us how effective the rhythm method could be at birth control. <laughs> well, just because... My wife must have spent three quarters of that class kicking me so I'd stop laughing. But, you know, honestly, in, in their defense, the fact that they had seven kids, it doesn't mean they used the rhythm method. They may have wanted those seven kids. Yeah. And this uh, this same friend of mine that I'm picking on, this Lutheran individual, who's mm-hmm. a very nice guy, don't get me wrong. I'm just picking on him because when it comes to these issues, it's where he and I butt heads. Right. Uh, we, were, we were discussing this topic, and... Uh, he argued that the only way that you could guarantee not to get pregnant uh, was if you abstain. So abstinence-only sex education was the way to go. Right. And I laughed, and I said abstinence-only sex education sounds a lot like just hold it potty training to me. <laughs> and then he said, uh, well, no, Ben, seriously, the only way to guarantee you won't get pregnant is if you abstain. And I said, uh, I don't take this the wrong way, but you do realize your entire religion is based on the fact that that's not true. That you can get pregnant even if you don't have sex. That's true. That's it happened true. at least one time. 
So don't tell me <laughs> that you genuinely believe abstinence is the only way. Otherwise, you have some explaining to do, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely. And then he's not talking to me for the day. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the same way. There's a lot of things that can be considered contradictory in the Catholic religion. And, you know, being, being yes, a Catholic, but also being an intelligent, you know, upright standing gorilla of a person, I understand that faith, you know, they like to say, well, you know, you know that doesn't make sense. And they go, well, you got to have faith. Okay, I get that. And I understand faith and I, and I have a lot of faith. But when it comes right down to it, and if you look at it, you know, in a logical, rational way, so much, especially of the Bible, does not make sense. Well, and I posed this when, back in the day, when I was actually going to go to school to be a Lutheran minister. Okay. On a scholarship. Um, so a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Ooh, I know that one, Star uh, Wars. <laughs> I, I raised the question in a confirmation class that I was teaching, and because of this was no longer allowed to teach confirmation, which is why I never went to Martin Luther College in, in Iowa, uh, where my scholarship was. Um, if, if you genuinely believe in a deity that created man and gave us faculties like intelligence so that we could have rational and logical thought, do you really think that that God would also condemn you for using that to say, hey, who's washing their hands in the sink next to me doesn't affect me at all. So I'm going to love that person until they demonstrate they don't deserve it. <laughs> that, you, that, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a damn good question, actually. Uh, it, so so you're, you're telling me that you're going to condemn? No, I, you can't tell me that, that you have a, a just and loving deity and then tell me that that deity is going to condemn me for questioning and using rationale and logic. That that makes no sense, and well, so that's that was anyway that was the nail in my coffin because I got in big trouble for proposing that to a group of impressionable young high school students. Um, my God, Ben, so, how dare you make them think? Right. I also may have referred to Jesus and his disciples as JC and the boys, hey, which is apparently disrespectful. But who doesn't? I mean, JC and the boys, JC and the 12, you know, I get it. Right. Hey, it's just whatever. You know, let's update some shit. You know, and I don't uh, think Jesus would have a problem with that. He'd be like, you know what, man, it's 2000. Go for it. <laughs> right, right. Because because I don't remember, and these are the things that annoy me, and, and I didn't mean to turn this into a rant on crazy religious people, but it did. Um, do you remember the story of the loaves and fishes? Oh, sure, sure, sure. You, do you remember when Jesus was like, yeah, we could feed them, but don't you think they should get a job? <laughs> I don't think that's quite how it went. Did they Did they immigrate legally? Because I don't want to feed anybody who has an immigrant. I would heal that blind person, but I don't know where they came from originally. And we're in Judea right now. And what if they're from Samaria? Well, they could have immigrated illegally, and I, I wouldn't want that. Um, Jesus didn't do that crap. No. So when you look at me and you're like, well, you know, um, 
you know, we should speak English in America because if English was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. Um, Again, which sounds like I'm being funny, but somebody in Texas actually said that. Oh, I believe it, but I mean, you got to realize they're pretty sure that uh, Jesus spoke Sumerian, so you know. Yeah, it's it, and uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to a guy by the name of Sam Harris. No. Uh, he's a very intelligent person, but he's very anti-religion. So I can understand if you haven't, uh, but he raised the, the point specifically on Islam. Uh, if the fundamental, if Islamic fundamentalists are the problem, maybe it's the fundamentals of practicing Islam. That's the issue uh, where you have all this, because when you actually take it at face value, and now I'm going to jump back to Christianity because that's more where I'm more comfortable because I know more about it. When you take it at face value, Jesus gave you us, all of us, whether I listen to him or not, um, two commandments, two. Yeah, really? Yeah. Love, love the Lord thy God, something to that effect, mm -hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. And he said, the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the list. Right. The rest of it kind of follows not killing people, not stealing their stuff. That kind of falls under the love your neighbor thing. Yep, exactly. Um, so all these other things, Jesus didn't say crap about bathrooms. He didn't say crap about genders. And if God has a plan for you and a plan for everybody, maybe that's his plan. Maybe, you know, and it's funny, too, because this, this gets me to thinking that when you think about Jesus Christ and the way Jesus Christ um, was and, and, you know, put himself out there and the things he did, uh, and, and I'll probably catch a lot of flack for this, but Christ was a socialist. Oh, Jesus would have voted for Bernie. That's what I'm saying. Oh, in a heartbeat. You know, he was he was a hippie man. He had long hair. He walked around in sandals. He he was all about the commune. You know, him and his twelve buddies. They they hung out. Yeah. There was one purse among the twelve of them. You know, and I can't remember which disciple, but one disciple was in charge of finances. You know, and 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 I point this out whenever anybody looks at me and says, "You have to ask yourself, Ben, what would Jesus do?" And I say, you do realize that includes rage flipping a table and whipping people behaving just like you are, right? Oh, yeah. Jesus because, Jesus went through the, the synagogue and raised to holy hell. Yeah. And, no, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm uh, as a general rule, uh, not a religious person and, and to a large degree an anti-religious person. Um, but, and I'm going to give a plug here. Uh, I hope that's okay. Yeah. Uh, St. Matthew's Church in Green Bay. Okay. I anonymously, well, it's not anonymous now because I'm announcing it on your thing. I donate money to them every year. Okay. And this, even though I'm a non-believer, and the reason I do that is this. When the city of Green Bay closed their homeless shelter, because, eh, what do we need a homeless shelter for? You, know, um, you mean there's homeless people stupid. in Green Bay? Don't you, have right, the, right. don't you have the Packers over there? They should take care of everything, right? Well, we have winter, which actually takes care of most homeless things. Yeah. Um, but not in a good way. Yeah. No, anyway, when the city when the city did that, Saint, I want to say it's Saint Matthews. I know it's Saint Matthews. They said we have a school attached to our church that we're not using, but we still have to heat it because we don't want the pipes to burst. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to open the doors and take care of homeless people. Awesome. And the city said, that's illegal. We're going to fine you. And the church said, go ahead, because this is what Jesus would want us to do. And as soon as they announced that, my checkbook came out. Because whether I believe what you believe or not, you're putting your money where your mouth is to do what you're supposed to do based on your religion. Mm -hmm. So you get my money. You know what I mean? Those people deserve, that's what you should do. That's, that's what it is. It's not, oh my God, it's not people standing, shouting about taking the rights away from others. And, and if you're a baker and you don't want to bake cakes for a gay wedding, here's an idea. Don't carry cake toppers with two grooms and two brides. Yep. And and if you don't have those cake toppers, then what the hell does it matter what kind of cake you're making? It's a wedding cake. Right. You're in business. And Kim Davis, if you're the clerk, if you are a county clerk, that is an office with a job to do. And if you don't want to do your job, resign. Because that's how it works in the big people's world. If I decided not to do my real job, they would fire me or I would quit. What, wait, wait, what are you, what, okay, let me, let me get this straight, Ben. So if you went to work, say tomorrow morning, and your boss said, all right, you need to make a delivery in Oconomowoc, and you need to make a delivery in Milwaukee, and you need to make a delivery in Racine, and you're just like, mm, based on my religious views, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you get fired. Yeah. Well, and and I'll give you another example. Before I did this uh, truck driving thing, I debt collected for a little while. I was was absolutely terrible at it um, because I've been on the other end of that phone call too many times. So I was the nicest debt collector in the world. Okay. Um, But the company that I work for, uh, I'll try and make it quick, but give you a little bit of background. They collected for this energy company that had really shady practices. Okay. They would come over and they would say, hey, Chad, uh, we can guarantee that your utility bill is going to be $100 a month for the next year. All right. No matter what your usage is. And you would say, okay. And you would sign up for it and you'd get billed $100 a month. Okay, wonderful. In the meantime, you're actually accruing an electric bill normally. And this company is just paying the bill for you. Okay. All right. And then at the end of your year contract, whatever is above what the amount that you paid them, you owe with interest from the first day it was accrued. So if you signed up in January, for example, and you paid them $100, but your utility bill was $300, you are carrying the balance. Right. And that $200 is accruing interest from January, but you don't even find out about it till December. Well, right. And I'm sure it's in the small print that nobody ever reads. Right. And it was. But they didn't point that out to you. But yeah, that's that's pretty. I mean, it's not illegal, but it is shady. So those bills I collected on because I read everything I sign my name to. So I explained to people you signed it. Um, I worked with them because, again, I was terrible at my job. So if I was allowed to discount at 50%, for example, I just did right off the bat. I set up the best payment plan I was allowed to do Mm -hmm. for everybody. 
Right. Now, um, we sent out in the, in October, uh, in California is where this, one of the states this company operates in, it does not operate in Wisconsin, so we're safe. Um, but in California, we sent out a letter that the collection agency with letterhead on it from PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, you may know them from the Aaron Brockovich movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with their name and, and logo on top, explaining to people that if your bill wasn't paid by uh, the beginning of October, your utilities could be shut off, which is true. Telling them that they had a balance owed to this company, which is also true. And then encouraging them to pay their bills so that their utilities don't get shut off. The thing is, Pacific Gas and Electric isn't going to shut off your utilities because they got paid their balance. You owe it to this third-party company, which has no power to shut off your electricity. Right, but it's a scare tactic. Right. Well, it's actually a lie. And a lie in order to get somebody's money is, by definition, fraud. Okay. So I, I had a customer who called up and said, I need to pay this bill right away before you shut off my electricity. And me being a terrible debt collector said, ma'am, we don't have the authority to shut off your electricity. And she said, well, that's not what this letter you just sent me says. And I said, do you have access to a fax machine, ma'am? I'd really like to see that letter. And so she faxed the letter to me. Okay. Right. I read the letter. I made the connection that we just talked about. This is fraud. I walked into my boss's office and I said, uh, this is fraud. I'm not collecting on this debt or any debts for this company. And they said, well, it's not technically illegal. And I said, no, it is by definition illegal. It is fraud. That, that is a crime. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you need to seriously consider this. I said, all right, well, I'm going to take my break. I went outside. I had a cigarette. I called Michelle and said, I'm quitting. Walked back in, gave my notice. Because that is not something that I can in good conscience do. No, I, I I get you there. So it's the same thing. If you're Kim Davis and you're a clerk of courts or a register of deeds, sorry, for a, a county, and your religious beliefs stop you from issuing marriage licenses to homosexual couples, you quit. And yes, my family was put in financial hardship because I quit based on my principles. But, you know, you got to draw a line. And if you're not willing to do it, then your principles don't matter that much. So shut the hell up. (laughs) All right, man. I I think uh, we got a pretty good episode here. I want to thank you for coming on. Well, Um, thank you for having me. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. But uh, next week, I'm bringing back a friend of mine. Her name is Nicole Schwabach. She was our guest around Thanksgiving last year. And we did an episode called Turkey and Maggots. It was a very tasty subject, I guarantee it. I really can't wait to see what she has for me this time. So you ever wonder to yourself, how do I let this guy know how much I like slash hate his podcast? Or think to yourself, man, I'd love to be a guest on his podcast. I have a great idea for a topic. Well, you're in luck. There are two ways for you to reach out to me. First, send me an email at whosepodcastisit at gmail.com and leave me a message. Or if you're more into the social media stuff, you can find me on Facebook at POI Network or at Whose Podcast Is It Anyway. Any way you decide, I look forward to hearing from you. 
So now we end this episode as we end all episodes with the quote of the day. Courage is found in unlikely places. John Ronald Royal Tolkien was an English writer, poet, uh, philosophist, I'm sorry, philo philologist, a person who studies language and words, and university professor who is best known as the author of the classic high fantasy works, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and The Sil Silmarillion. So what do you think of that quote, Ben? What, what is that? Does that bring up anything in your mind? Courage is found in well, unlikely places. I think it's I think it's very apt, and it's kind of fitting, even though I know you didn't plan it that way. Um, we each have to find the courage in ourselves to stand up when uh, things aren't right and point it out. And I think that uh, it's it's the courage of common people that makes that positive change in the world. And you don't expect it. You think of presidents and congressmen and war heroes changing the world. Uh, but more often than not, it's people like you um, just standing up and saying, that's not cool. Right. And I think that that quote sums that up and reminds us of it. Excellent. And with that, I'm going to say once again, Ben, thank you for coming. Look forward to doing this again. To all of you out there, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.com.